You are now listening to Blacksburg Unfiltered. You are now listening to Plattsburgh Unfiltered. You are now listening to Plattsburgh Unfiltered. Welcome, everybody. My name is Vinny Fredericks, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Plattsburgh class of 1990 alum, Ms. Cheryl Stallings. Cheryl, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you want to give a quick introduction, your background, what you do. Thank you for having me. Yes, class of 1990, proud and proud to be back for my first time ever. I work for National Basketball Association in the content and partnership department. So I deal on the international side of the world, working mainly with our NBA India and NBA Asia regions. Awesome. And I also have the honor of being joined by a couple Plattsburgh State basketball players. Hi, my name is Miles Jones. I'm a senior here at Plattsburgh State, and I play on the men's basketball team. Hi, I'm Payne Kucher. I'm a sophomore, and I play on the women's basketball team here at Plattsburgh. And today we've just got some questions that we're going to be asking Cheryl. So to get started, where did you grow up, and how did you wind up in Plattsburgh? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I live in Jersey right now, but I res- I'll say I reside, but I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, so I'm a diehard Brooklyn girl. How I decided to come to Plattsburgh is because I love the media mass communication program. Okay. I looked at their program. I looked at all of the courses and what they were doing and how they were teaching it and gearing it toward the goals and what I wanted to do. And I said, okay, this is where I'm going. It was between Plattsburgh and a couple of other colleges, but I just felt SUNY Plattsburgh had the right curriculum for what I was trying to do. Okay, so do you think you growing up in New York City kind of had like a like an effect on you like with like your career path? What do you mean like effect on me? Like just the culture of like New York is called the Mecca of basketball. Do you think that culture kind of like rubbed off on you? Probably because also we as Brooklyn have a little edge to us. So and we're pretty confident. So I think that culture and and that frame of mind did rub rub on me, rub off on me. Um, but like I said, I, I love the curriculum that Plattsburgh had. So I was, I was coming here no matter what. What are some of the biggest things you learned in college that uh, you brought with you throughout your career? Good question. Never give up. And you don't have to be an A or a B student to be successful. Those are great, but also never give up. I think I also took all of the learnings from the classes that I had here in Plattsburgh, and I applied it to my roles when I left Plattsburgh, and I think that's what moved me into the trajectory of working for Fox News at the time in NYC and then moving to work for NBA. So those learnings, I took those tools and I applied them to my role of what I'm doing now from Plattsburgh. What steps did you have to take to get from college graduation to where you are now? I had to do a lot of volunteering. I reached out to a few people. We had mentors, but it wasn't as big as mentorship is now to date. So I I did a lot of volunteering. I had to also work in entry-level positions. I worked, like I said, I moved to work for Fox 5 in human resources department. It had nothing to do with sports. It had nothing to do with production, but I knew this was going to get my foot in the door. It got my foot in the door for Fox. I didn't move into the departments I wanted to, but then when NBA had a role, an entry-level role that came up, I took that. So those were a couple of steps I, I took. You know, in order to get where you need to go, you have to take some steps prior. You're not just going to fall into things. I like that. I can imagine that working with the NBA and Asian India, there's been a lot of memorable experiences. But if you had to pick one, what would be your favorite experience, memory that you have working with them? Well, 
I've been in India, Mumbai, because we have an office there, and Asia, Hong Kong, for five years from 2015 to 2019. I was only supposed to be there for three months. So three months turned into five years. And while there, we cover all the regions. Like in Asia, we have 40-something partners. So we cover Japan, we cover Philippines, Manila, basketball's a religion there. Indonesia, South Korea, Jakarta, like I said, in Indonesia and a couple of other places, Singapore. And in India, we go all over within the India region as well, working with our academies. I would have to say one of my proudest moments is when we had our first ever NBA preseason games in India against the Sacramento Kings and Indiana Pacers in 2019. So I saw that moment come to together from beginning to fruition because, again, I worked in that office starting at 2015, and this was work in progress since 2013. So to actually see it come together and all those years, it was awesome. Uh, what kind of precautions go into NBA events overseas that wouldn't happen in the U.S.? There's certain rules and guidelines that certain venues on the international side of the world that they can get away with that we wouldn't be able to. We have, like, I'm not in the events department, but I work a lot with them. When we come to an event, we come and we take over. So we have to make sure also the court is the right size. You know, the basketball hoop is at the right height. To make sure there's enough space between the hoop and, and, and the fans. So those are things that I think sometimes they may not think about. They operate and do things differently over on the international side of the world. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just that we have to now come in and put our NBA stamp on it. Are there plans to create or work with other professional leagues in India and Asia, like the Basketball Africa League? There is. I mean, Basketball Africa League, they're in the third season, and they're in their season right now. Senegal, Cairo, and Rwanda. I covered all of the second season basketball with Basketball Africa League. We do intend to expand our game globally and on the international side of the world like we have a league in, in Africa. So there are goals in place. We're just working with different people and different partners to see how that can come to fruition. It may not be another NBA team in those international spaces, or it could be just us working and collaborating with different partners within those different regions. I mean, there's a lot of talent out there, that's for sure. Yes. On that note, how do the players in the NBA help you guys and support the effort to globalize their brand in NBA basketball? Lots of ways. We have players that come out to the market. In India, we have players come out five, six times a year. In Asia, we have players come out 40 times a year. So the players are coming out there on the strength of the NBA, the brand. They're coming there to build their own brand as well. And they're coming out there. We build a whole plan for them for the five to seven days that they're out there. So we, we work with them for our junior NBA programs. They come to our NBA elite program and they'll coach the players. We have all these type of basketball camps. We'll have them go visit our partners, our broadcast partners. We have our wraparound shows, so they'll be a part of the shows talking about the games. We'll have them come visit partners. So with the partners, we'll see these players, see the vested interest. The players also see the vested interest. It's not just China where the players want to go. A lot of our players now are also going to Australia and India. India is another big market, but we all know cricket's the number one sport. And it's a religion in India. We just want a piece of that pie. Helping to bring the players in market and have that passion and do it intentionally and on purpose for us is awesome. What are some future projects and ideas you're personally excited for? I'm excited for our other global games that we have going on. Abu Dhabi was the first time we ever played there. In October, we're doing it again. I'm excited to, for our basketball without border games in Asia. So again, that's building the brand from a grassroots point of view. So those are two great things I'm excited about.
and all of our Temple events. <laughs> All-Star, Finals, Summer League, those are all awesome events. What do you have to say to those waiting for their big break? Don't wait. Don't wait for your break. But you have to go at it. I always say, you know, with jobs also, who you know will get you in the door, what you know will keep you there. If you're going to wait for your big break, what are you doing in the meantime that you're waiting? How are you adding the credentials to your resume to have that big break? Don't just sit and wait for your break. What are you doing about that? Who are you talking to? What courses are you taking? What classes are you taking? What are you volunteering for? So you can wait for your big break, but while you're waiting for it, do things. Talk to people like me. Talk to people that are in the fields that you want to be in. Collaborate with them. Get with mentors. Get with sponsors. Don't just sit and think it's going to come to you. You have to go after it. Throughout your career, what have you seen and done as both a mentor, as a mentee, that has kind of gotten you to this point? No, that's a great question. Because mentoring, back in the days when I was growing up, we didn't have that a lot. We certainly didn't have it to how it's focused and exposed in the world that it's today. And my goal is also to push that out there with people, everyone, diversity, inclusion, women and women of color, because we women lack that confidence to a certain degree. We have that imposter syndrome that sits on everybody. The men go through it as well. But my goal is to pull that ladder down and you only have to walk up five steps instead of 10, which is what I did. So mentoring is a huge part. And I always tell people, find yourself a mentor and a mentee. It's a collaboration. It's a two-way street. You can get some things out of the mentor. We're all busy. Our bandwidth is stretched thin. But if you go to someone and say, oh, my God, I like what you do. Can you be my mentor? These are three things I need from you. I need this from you once a month. I'm going to be like, okay, great. That's not a lot of time. But you also just don't want to go and abruptly say, can you be my mentor? Get to know the person. Why do you want them to be your mentor? Don't just do it for selfish reasons. I'm going to help you get in the door, but you have to do the hard work. Works the same thing with mentees. I have mentees that I look up to. I have mentees that are my mentors as well. It's a dual, dual collaboration. I can learn from you. You can learn from me. I do say that it's needed and you should do it. You can have more than one mentor. And then you have sponsors. There's a difference between mentorship and sponsors. The mentors are going to be there to help you with your career, build your trajectory, hold you accountable. Sponsors are going to be the ones that are going to talk about you when you're not in the room. Barnes is going to be there to say, hey, when they're in with the senior leadership team, Cheryl does this. She meets all these criteria. Why don't you guys reach out to her? They're going to listen to them because that's the SLT, senior leadership team. They may not know about me, but my sponsor does. So my sponsor is speaking on behalf of me, and that's going to get me in the doors. And once I get in the door, you got to flourish. You know what you're capable of, have confidence in what you do, and soar at it. And then when you're in those doors, Reach out to different people. Mentorship is not a one and done. It's going to be there for life if you know how to do it correctly. Do you think the diversity within, like, the league in terms of, like, people working within the league, do you feel like that is improving or can it improve more? How do you feel about it? It's definitely improving. It always can improve more because we always want more. Right. But we're in a great place in space. We just hired two new people for our HR and DNI, and both women of color both black women. So, and that's the space that they speak to and they're very passionate about that space. I'm big on DNI. It's not something that I study, but like I said, I have a certificate in it from Cornell University, but I love that space. We all have to be inclusive because again, I don't want my struggles to be your struggle. You know, we have that diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then we have belonging. 
You have to listen to people. You have to hear their voices. And you actually got to walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, diversity is, oh, we're having a party. I'm inviting you to the party. Equity is, okay, we're at that party. They're playing some of the music that I like. Inclusion, you know, okay, you're asking me to dance. It's all those things. You can't do one without the other. And we're big on that at the NBA. I'm big on that and personally as well. So it's a field that I think it's not going anywhere. I think more and more people are adapting to it. I'm glad we have it. Again, it's each one teach one. And it's also everyone's holding each other accountable for their actions. But it's great accountability because you don't know what I don't know. I don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of unconscious bias that people have, but you can get learnings from that. And people are not doing things on purpose, but there may be a circle that you're in that I'm not in. Include me in that circle. The circle can be bigger. There's room for everyone, and it all can be shared. I would assume throughout your career you had some struggles with rising up the ladder. Is there any, like, suggestions or advice you can give to, like, women trying to get to where you are now? Sure. I mean, never give up. Never give up. I work in a male-dominating field. But also, I insert myself. Insert yourself. You, you, you know you work in a male-dominating field. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to just sit back and pout? Or are you going to insert yourself so that you can be, become partners with them? That's the whole goal. And also remind them that I'm an asset to you like you're an asset to me. My credentials speak for myself. I'm not here to move your trajectory out of the way, but this is the trajectory that I want to go in, and I'm going to include myself into these things. We all can learn. My struggle sometimes would be where they, people didn't want to work with me, yes, because I'm a woman or whether it's a person of color. But once they realize I want to work with them, I want to collaborate with them, and certain things that I'm talking about within my work is facts. You can't dispute facts. And then when they see you should be at the table, speak about it. If you're at a table, you're in the meeting, don't sit at the end of the table. Sit in the middle. So you can see people to the left, you can see people to the right, you can see people in front of you, you can see people on the side of you. Ask questions, but sit there because you belong there. Don't ever push yourself in the back of the room because that's where people tell you that you belong. So you always, you always got to insert yourself even more. If you come up with an idea, someone else has that same idea. A guy has that idea, but everyone's like, rah, rah, oh, that's a great idea from you, John. I can say, well, that is a great idea. But she just said the same thing, so it'd be great if we all can all collaborate, being that she thought of that idea first as well. You don't have to call them out, but you be creative and strategic about how they should include you and how you thought of that idea first and how you're not going to go anyplace. You don't want to be confrontational, and you also got to pick and choose your battles. But you can break that glass ceiling. We all can. Yeah, so when you're working in these international countries, how do you accustom and assimilate to their cultures and get used to living in these different areas? It could be hard, but for me it wasn't that hard because A, I'm a free-spirited individual, and B, I was excited about doing this. And also, you know, before I went to India and in Asia, I had to take a course, an eight-hour course on both to learn the culture, how they operate, how they speak, what to say, what not to say, because, you know, it works different in, in, in India than it does in America. It took me and the team a year to get acclimated to each other. And I don't blame them because they didn't know what my role and goal was coming in there. So you're going to be a little defensive. But I was able to gain their respect, gain their trust, and also gain great friendships from it. I have some best friends now in India. It's a country that I always wanted to visit. Also, Asia was also on my bucket list. 
But just because it was on my bucket list doesn't mean that you can't, you, you'll have a hard time getting acclimated. I think it also depends on the individual. Like I said, I'm a free-spirited individual, so I'm like, okay, I'm going there, and I want to be there. I'm going to engross myself, engulf myself in the people, you know, because I was considered kind of like an expat. But when I was in Asia, I didn't want to live where the expats were living. I went to our, our area where the locals were living because I wanted to mingle and mix in with them because that's where I got most of my learnings. If I were going to live with the expats, that's like me living back in America, and that defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. Defeats the purpose. So, I mean, it's something, like I said, free-spirited. So I'm going to do more to learn more about different cultures because there are a lot of cultures and people outside, outside of the States. If you could go back and tell yourself when you graduated from college, you know, one piece of advice, one thing that you know now that you didn't know then, what would you go back and tell yourself? Be a little more aggressive in speaking up and speaking out about things that you want, your career trajectory. Not to say I'm not at a place where I am now and the timing wasn't where it should be, but I think I would speak up more, knowing my path, write everything down, build my agenda, and stick to it and not be afraid to do it. You know, the the confidence, it's going to come, but I think it took a long time for it to come for me. But, I, but, but then I, I am where I am right now for the right moment. What was yesterday is not today. What today is not tomorrow. Anything else that you would like to touch on that we might have missed? No, I think you guys touched on all everything. I mean, I just think it's a great thing what you're doing. Love Plattsburgh. Love being back. I just think people need to know there's another side outside of the States, the international world, and what we do is awesome. We're a global market. You know, my role and goal is to expand the game from a fan uh, viewership, fan engagement, and acquisition point of view, and also to help build and bring up our, our brand within all these different regions. So it's something special, it's, and we're not going anywhere. We're just expanding even more, and it's a role that I love to be a part of. Plattsburgh Unfiltered. <laughs>